0: Today's episode of Pushing Beyond the Obvious is brought to you by Skillshare, an online learning platform with over 18,000 plus classes on business, marketing, technology, and many more. Get two months of Skillshare for free at our mukeshguptacom learn. Welcome to Pushing Beyond the Obvious, and I am your host Mukesh Gupta, author of the world's first business poem, Your Startup Mentor. This is a show where I bring you ideas and insights from some of the best minds in the world so that you can be a better entrepreneur and grow your business. One thing that I have seen common in all successful entrepreneurs is their ability to constantly learn and push boundaries. This is something that I constantly try to do as well. I learn a lot from our guests, I listen to a lot of podcasts, read a lot of books, and I also learn something from Skillshare every month. I have been personally using Skillshare now for more than a year and have learned so much. One of the courses that I recommend to every entrepreneur to learn from is the one taught by Simon Sinek. He teaches a class on presentation essentials and is so very good. While you're there, you could also try out the class that I teach, which is on how to rock your next brainstorming session. You can find my class at rmukeshgupta.com slash brainstorm and get two months for two months of Skillshare for free at rmukeshgupta.com
1: slash learn.
0: Uh, hi Harold, thanks for taking time and talking to us today.
1: It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks very much, Mukesh.
0: I must say that um, I came to know about you uh, from the blogs uh, uh, that you write. I've been a regular reader of what you put out. Uh, and I must say that I have learned quite a bit um, uh, from uh, the blog post. So thanks a lot for creating all that content. Uh, so before we kind of move on, can I ask you to introduce yourself, the work that you do, and how all of that has uh, you know resulted in what you do right now?
1: Okay, my name is Harold Jarkey. I live in New Brunswick, Canada, which is on the far east coast of Canada. I have been an independent consultant for almost 15 years now. My previous life, I spent the first half of my career actually in the Canadian military. And I served as an infantry officer, hospital administrator, and then later as a training specialist, which is kind of how I got into my current field. I designed flight simulation and developed training for pilots of of helicopters and and, uh, the technicians as well. The, uh, when I retired from the military 20 years ago, I worked for a, a university agency called the Center for Learning Technology. So this would have been in the late 1990s, and it was the time when e-learning was exploding and everyone was talking about the potential of the information highway and, and those kinds of things. And so that's where I really got immersed into technology, because I don't have a tech background. I have a degree in history and a degree in education, and I... Got into that at, uh, through the university, and then I worked for a small dot-com e-learning company, and uh, they got rid of me in 2003. And the next day, I started for, uh, my freelancing life, which I've been doing since <laughs> June of 2003. And uh, so since then, uh, that, that 15-year period, one of the things that I did was I got into blogging. And blogging and PKM and everything really kind of get mixed together. Uh, And that's, uh, uh, I actually have this little, um, uh, 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 cartoon by Hugh McLeod that I show and and it uh, it, it, it says um, uh, about about blogging in your underwear and it shows this little blogger and it says blogging gave me everything and I have to admit I'm not in my underwear today (laughs) but uh, but blogging was uh, uh, really gave me everything uh, that I uh, that that I am professionally because it allowed me to connect with people with a worldwide audience and PKM personal knowledge mastery, which we're going to talk about uh, in detail I, th- I think today is a, is a is a framework which puts that into uh, sense and it's something that I've been working on for quite a while. Um, it actually started so so 2003 I find myself without work. I am uh, I, I live in Sackville, New Brunswick, population 5,000 <laughs> and I'm a thousand kilometers from the nearest, major center a thousand kilometers from boston or from montreal so it's a long way to go and here here i am in in an area that's relatively economically depressed so the big industries here are forestry fishing uh, resource extraction and for our two months of summer we have a lot of tourism not the kind of work not really knowledge work uh, intensive and no large companies are are here So one of the things, uh, so again, this is 2003, I'm taking a look, I'm playing with blogs blogs at this time and I'm reading a lot, I'm reading voraciously. Other people are, are blogging. I actually feel like I'm getting into blogging late Um, My current website uh, at Jarky.com has been a blog since 2004. So the period 2003 to 2004, I'm trying to figure these things out. Um, I'm I'm lucky I get a couple of contracts. I've got a little bit of work and I start getting into the blogging routine a little bit because I figure that I've got to do something and it's cheap. It costs me almost nothing. And I... Connect to uh, several people uh, who really inspired me. One uh, is Lilia Efimova. Lilia still blogs at mathemagetic.com. She's now talking about uh, unschooling her children. So she's, uh, she's homeschooling her children, and she talks about uh, that currently. But back in 2003, uh, Lilia was doing her doctoral thesis, and she was doing her doctoral thesis on knowledge exchange uh, between professionals using blogs. And so she developed the personal knowledge management uh, framework. Now PKM, personal knowledge management, had something that has been discussed in KM, in knowledge management circles, for quite a while. And there were a lot of people discussing it, or a number of people discussing it, uh, in the early 2000s. So Lilia was w- w- really inspired me with her frameworks. And she was, she was blogging her doctoral dissertation, and actually getting in trouble for that, because that was a bad thing at the time. Another person was Denham Gray, and Denham doesn't blog anymore. I'm not too sure what, what he's up to, but he worked for IBM and he talked a lot about uh, uh taking control of our of our knowledge, uh sharing, consumption, and things. And then and then the third person was Dave Pollard, and Dave was had at, at the time, was the chief knowledge officer for Ernst & Young. And then he went independent, and he was a prolific writer. Uh, he was writing about a five ten thousand 10000 word essay almost every day. It was, it was hard <laughs> enough just to read what he wrote. I don't know when he found the time to do the writing. But those three really inspired me. And what PKM started off as was a um, did to be scratched. So here I was, basically in the middle of nowhere, um, uh, I'm my, my, a stay-at-home uh, mother, my, my, my wife, two young children, and uh, and very little work in, in in the local area, and I've got to do something. I also have to stay ahead of the game because look, I'm now a, I'm a consultant, and as a consultant, of course, you're supposed to know everything, and but. The thing is, I couldn't really afford to travel to big conferences. Uh, the Canadian dollar had tanked against the U.S. dollar, so it was really expensive for me to travel to any U.S.-based uh, conferences. And so, where do I go? Is I go online, and I start connecting to other people. And that's so again inspired by uh, by by these three folks. And I thought, well, I'm going to just start, you know, articulating what I'm thinking and putting it on my blog. So in 2004, nobody's reading my blog. It's, uh, it's, it's just, it's just for me and I play with this, um, uh, PKM framework. It's just, it's, it's very much, it's like, it's like 5% of my time or less. It's just one of those things and I'm just putting it up there and I have different models and things and I'm sticking it here and there and it's more like, Oh, at least I know where I can find it later if I want to go after it. And, um, Back in, uh, so uh, in about mid-2004, uh, I was going through a very quiet period, didn't have much work, uh, so that meant that cash flow was kind of dying. Um, mm-hmm. My wife was getting stressed, as I was, and one of the things that I was doing, so I was writing a lot on the blog, In I think it was May 2004, I think I wrote something like 58 blog posts, but that's because Twitter didn't exist, <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was the only place where you could stick stuff. and. My wife uh, sees me doing all this kind of stuff, and I'm not working, I'm not getting paid. And she said, this is crazy. She said, if you give away all your knowledge, right, nobody's gonna hire you. And I said, well, I said, I think, and this was based on uh, uh, stuff that people like Cory Doctorow were writing about, was that I think that my problem is not people stealing my knowledge, it's people actually knowing who I am. And But now that's a leap of faith. That really is it's kind of like I think that if I stick the stuff out there that maybe somehow in the long run This is going to come back to me. Uh, I'm going to get some recompense for it Um, and now here we are in 2018 uh, I'm an international speaker. I have clients in multiple countries. I run online workshops about pkm uh, As well as, as as well as many other things. So I think in the long run, That has been a self-fulfilling prophecy. In 2004, it wasn't obvious. And it also um, hasn't exactly been an easy path going on that. But I've definitely learned a lot uh, about the framework, and we we can talk about the framework uh, in a bit more detail. Um, But it's definitely been a work in progress. and, uh, and, and, And I've been inspired by a lot of other work in different fields, like complexity theory, uh, particularly the Knevin framework that Dave Snowden um, has developed, um, other uh, work from folks like Esko Kilpi in Finland. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's really morphed over time to become this sense-making framework. So, in essence, you know, so, like, what is, it, what, what is PKM? Uh, like, I've changed it from personal knowledge management to personal knowledge mastery, now, one reason was marketing because I wanted to be different. <laughs> so it's only Harold who's talking about <laughs> personal knowledge mastery. Okay, I haven't anything like that, but at least it, when people see that, go oh, that 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 might be that what that, that Harold guy is talking about. And um, so that that's that's been a, a a core part of it. But the other thing is is that I really looked at it as it's a discipline. It's it's like Zen or meditation it's or something practice, like basically. that it's a practice, and everybody's practice is different. There are certain principles. The framework for me is a sense-making framework, so we can talk the same language and use the same terms. And But really what it is, is that how do you take control uh, and manage um, the experiences, the information, the sources of knowledge that pass by you every day? How do you make sense of them? How do you internalize that? How does that affect your actions? And then how do you share that appropriately? Where, when, and, 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 and with whom are you going to do that? Um, and uh, feel free to jump in and direct me. Yeah, so also. I think I think
0: uh, you've already started the uh, uh, discussion around uh, personal knowledge mastery. I think that is what I wanted to discuss today as well. Uh, the reason why I reached out to you, and I think it is valid and valuable information for my audience, is also because today we are living in a world where you know there is abundance of information right? There's just too much information. And it is getting more and more difficult uh, to number one, consume this information. Number two, whatever you have consumed, there needs to be a framework for us to internalize and apply it to our own need or in our own situation. Now, I see all around me that, you know, uh, there is something interesting that someone is doing. I go quickly uh, read about it. And then I find something else interesting. I go there, and I'm jumping from one place to the other without, or rather, with very minimal internalization of uh, information. So, and that is becoming the case not just with me, but with almost everyone that I know of uh, in my circle as well. That is the reason why, when I saw that, uh, you know, I've been reading about the blogs that you've been writing about, you know, personal knowledge mastery, uh, uh, the framework that you're talking about, and I felt that, you know. If we are able to use this framework to make sense of whatever it is that we are getting as inputs and are able to internalize it and apply it to our very context, you know, so the same information for me may mean something else for someone else may mean something else. But as long as we are able to internalize it and apply to our context and learn from it. Uh, I think that is where uh, the biggest uh, uh, results uh, uh, is going to be as well. And not just personally, I think organizationally also, uh, we are getting into an age where, you know, there's just too much data being created. So if we can first use this for our personal use and then somehow uh, have a framework built for teams and from teams to organizations, I think that is gonna be the differentiator for a lot of organizations to do well Uh, in the future. That's the reason why I said it's important that we talk about this. So before we kind of jump the gun, um, can you tell us what, according to you, is this personal knowledge mastery and explain the framework a little bit so that we can go from there?
1: Okay, and, and we, as I also want to circle back on you are talking about teams and organizations because it does connect. But personal knowledge mastery, one thing that I learned, uh, and this was a very interesting thing that Dave Pollard, whom I mentioned earlier, who his blog is How to Save the World. And uh, Dave, uh, when he was taking a look at uh, what was called a personal information management system when he was at Ernst & Young back in the, I think the 90s or maybe even in the, in the 80s, and he was asking people, he said, we're building a knowledge base. And he went and he personally interviewed people all over the company and he, and he said, well, what would you like to have in the knowledge base? We're going to build this wonderful knowledge base so people can share and all that kind of stuff. And almost to a person, they all responded, I don't care. I don't care what's in your knowledge base. I don't care what's in the organizational knowledge base. I need to deal with my problems. And in those days when we all had these big CRT monitors, I don't know if you remember that, and we all had sticky, sticky notes all the way around the side that were our sort of our aid memoir about, oh, this is how I get into here, and we'll oh, to okay, put another sticky note there, and that's who I contact here, right? Um, that's all they carried, cared about was what was on their desktop. Right? And that has informed me i guess and i've reflected upon that is that if you're going to make some some change change starts within so that's what so pkm is about individuals but the value proposition for the organization is huge and but and again we can get into, into that so so you ask what is, what is what what is the p so the pkm framework is 14 years in development for me and I a number of years ago I was lucky and I came up with uh, three words to explain it And I knew that it worked because it stuck with a client a client re- Repeated it back to me and basically it's seek sense share so seek out not just information But people and sources of knowledge make sense of it somehow and then share and It's connected to um, this uh, three circle model or the perpetual beta model, which was inspired by work that Lily Afamova had done. And you you take a look at these three overlapping circles is that we all work in some type of a work team, a project team, whether it's temporary or full time job doesn't make any difference. And that's, that's where we work and that's where we get stuff done. We also, for the most part, have social networks. There are very few people who don't have a social network, and that social network can be a church. It can be a community, it can be the um, uh, fellow uh, cricket players. it doesn't really, uh, I'm a cyclist, so I have my, sort of my cycling community, things like that or, or my cycling network. And then we have this space sort of in between social networks and these works work teams and they're called communities of practice and Etienne Wenger has done a lot of work on that and really, you know, wrote the defining um, uh, 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 treatise on what communities of practice are. But basically a community of practice, the way I define a community of practice is, you know, that you're in one if it changes your practice. So community of practice is not a social network because they're kind of loose. And it's not where you're getting work done with your boss and with your coworkers, and and you have deadlines and things like that. A community of practice is where you self-identify as we're all project managers and we're going to share things and we're going to help each other out. And this is where I can throw out an idea and not get shot down. Whereas if I throw out an idea on something like Twitter, who knows? The trolls could could pounce on me. It's happened personally, <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, and you just have to have a thick uh, a thick skin. But if you really want people to share a bit more intimate type things, you need a you need a safe place to do that, and that's what these communities are. And I think that work. Uh, in the future or even currently is this dance between social networks, sort of the big and loose communities of practice, which are a little, they have loose ties and they have strong ties. And then our work teams, which are, which are mostly uh, strong ties and more and more the work that we're doing together is complex. So if you, if you think of um, uh, sort of like an onion or, 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 or three circles, one inside the other, the big circle are our social networks. The middle circle, are our communities of practice, and then inside uh, that are our work teams, and then we've got ourselves as, as well. And the way that I see it is, um, in, in terms of seek, sense, share, is that really what we're doing is that we're breathing in from our social networks, ideas and stuff, we're filtering it Hopefully through our communities of practice, and if you're not a member of a community of practice, I think that everybody from entrepreneur to working in a in, in, in a in a company is at a loss because you need you need a place to filter that stuff through through a trusted network, and then breathing in, doing the work, and then over time breathing that back out. Say, oh, we did this new work interestingly. I may share it with my community of practice, and then later share share it out. So it's breathing in, breathing out. But the thing is, we only have one head, we only have one brain, so we are in all those three virtual and real spaces at any given time, but there are different behaviors necessary within each one. So how do I um, build a diverse social network, knowledge network using, let's say something like Twitter, right? So that in terms of the specifics of PKM, that's one of the types of things is building a diverse knowledge network. How can I map that network and see whether I have diversity? Do I have people from other countries, from other cultures? from other perspectives, older than me, younger than me? How, you know, am, am I getting a good diversity of, uh, of opinions and perspectives on things that matter to me? And then the same thing with my communities is that am I engaging in my communities of practice? Am I actually pushing hard enough to uh, try to change my practice? Am I experimenting with new things? This comes from complexity as well. Is that to understand a complex system, you actually have to engage with the system and it's in engaging with the system that you, that you learn. It's that whole notion of perpetual beta. We're gonna put a beta product out there, we're gonna see what happens, we're gonna change it based upon the feedback and engaging with the complex system. So again, that's the, so, so the seeking, then the sense making and the sharing. And I have been running workshops and doing training and advising uh, numbers of companies who've used the PKM framework and the sense making is the tough part. So I can go out there and I can get information here, there, all that kind of stuff, right? And I can stick it together and I can put it in social bookmarks. I can use scoop it, all that kind of stuff. But what the heck do I do with that? And for me, blogging is a big part of my sense-making process. You know, I've... Uh, I force my I enjoy writing, you know, uh, but I was not a good writer I was a really bad writer uh, all the way uh, And and my early blog posts are not very good, but actually over time I became a much better writer I was able to put my ideas together. So for me blogging is 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 part of my sense-making Perhaps I think for you perhaps podcasting is part of your sense making having these interviews, right? So this is how you are taking that's an interesting idea. Let's do a podcast Not everybody can do podcasts or blogs Um, There's an interesting example of this um uh, woman who uh every day she drives home from work and she actually talks to herself about everything that happened during the day that for her is a way in which she mentally makes sense and and and, and encodifies it and then again with sharing uh sharing is about being uh, appropriately sharing where when with whom and if you're 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 Working in a company, then it, it you also have things about confidentiality, uh, um intellectual property, you know all 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 those things that are that that are very important. But as a practice, the thing about it is that you you're not going to get better unless you do it, and you may make some mistakes. but it's better to make the mistakes perhaps in a community of practice than it is to do it out on the on on the open social web. And there again, uh, for companies and for individuals is that, do you have a community of practice? Can you find some? In most cases, they exist, but we just don't know them. And it's, it's to find them, to reinforce them, and to, and to support them. I bl- I'm an active member of four communities of practice right now. Uh, one is only four people, and the other one is about 80 people. And we do different things, in them, but the, but uh, where we communicate for the most part uh, is uh, within closed uh, environments. We're using Slack, we're using SocialCast, we're using closed WordPress uh, spaces, uh, and they're invitation only. And that so, means so. that there's a certain level of a trust.
0: I think uh, this is an important uh, aspect that I would like to delve a little more deeper in. Uh, because uh, I think, as you rightly said, uh, the most difficult part for most of us is uh, around sense-making. now, yes. uh, And... Uh, So we have social networks. I mean, entrepreneurs also have their social networks, other fellow entrepreneurs who come together. But what you're talking about when it comes to communities of practices and all these closed, uh, really, you know, space where you are open, um, you trust people around you. So how, I mean, if if you, how do you find A community like that? If you can't find it, how do you go about uh, uh, setting up a community like that? Maybe, you know, if you could give an example of one of those four communities that you're talking about and uh, explain uh, as to how that came about, I think that will give people an idea about how do you go about uh, creating those communities of practice.
1: I think you can find communities of practice a lot easier if you have a diverse and large social network or social networks, right? So, because you're going to be talking to different people and you could, I mean, I have, I don't know, what 16,000 followers on Twitter. If I post something out and say, Hey, does anybody know anything about then the chances are that I might get a response on that and say, I'm looking for a community of practice based on this. Somebody might refer me to somebody, to someone else. Right? So having a larger social network makes that easier. Um, whether you have that or not. Uh, so there's two ways you can do it. One is that you can find one that exists. And, uh, uh so, uh, th- we, so, my tightest community of practice, uh, was started by um, a gentleman by the name of Jay Cross. Uh, He passed away a couple of years ago. And uh, Jay wrote uh, the seminal book on informal learning. And one of the things that he talked about was that you you need to have, uh, it's all about collaboration, cooperation, working together and things like that. He was a freelancer. And he said, this is crazy. I'm talking about collaboration and I work alone. And so so he contacted Jane Hart in the UK and uh, then uh, later Clark Quinn, who's in California and then uh, and then myself and we wound up when we created basically an umbrella company, which really it's a company, but we don't use it as a company. It's more of a I call it more of a self help group called the Internet Time Alliance. And So there's still four there's still four of us in the Internet Time Alliance and we we actually just use a Skype chat Well, and that's how we keep uh, in touch with each other But we do all kinds of st- things in that kind of like hey I'm working for company X anybody ever worked for them before Someone says yeah, yeah What should I quote in a, in, a, in a bid? They want me to do this 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 and this. and one of my partners would come back and say well This is what I got paid to do it. Okay, cool. That's all right So <laughs> that's the, not the kind of thing I'm gonna put on Twitter right? Right. <laughs> so, so, so and, and the thing is that we've been together since 2009 So we know each other. We trust each other. We've worked together. Uh, But but, so again, this is like so this was one that came together because one person invited another person, invited another person, put everybody together. Right. There's another uh, group that I belong to called Change Agents Worldwide. It's run by Simon Terry out of Melbourne, Australia. And that one is uh, where it's it's a number of social networks that kind of came together uh, with different people inviting uh, folks in. But it's about, this is a different uh, community because there's two, two major types of people in it. There are people what is known as solo change agents. So that's like me, a freelancer. And there are people as enterprise change agents. These are people who want to change the way work is done, but they're inside their companies. So this is a safe place in which people from inside companies can talk about what's happening inside the company, you know, and it's locked down, um, or, or, ask advice, right? It's not a place we, it's not really a place where we exchange services. It's more about each learning from each other. For me, it's wonderful because I sort of dive into companies and then, and then, I'm you know, go back out. But I have this thread of people working in a number of different companies that I can talk to and, and, and I can say, oh, that's what's happening right now with this kind of stuff. So I have this, so I have this touch and with 80 some people, I don't know everybody, I, there's, let's say there's maybe 20 that I know, but I know that somebody knows somebody else and trusts them. So, so in this case, it's a mix of strong social ties and weaker social ties, but it's all within the context of a trusted environment. And, uh, and so that was one that was created, uh, Susan Skrupsky, uh, out of the U S originally created it and then it's, uh, it, it's grown and has changed over time. And, you know, there's forming, storming, norming, performing the standard stuff that happens within groups and there's tensions and stuff like that happens. <laughs> but the nice thing is it happens within family, right? So, uh, other people don't know about it. <laughs> uh, so, so, so finding one, uh, if, if again, if you can, Um, make your own. Uh, That's why I advise to people is that, you know, if you really have a need for a community of practice and you can't find one, why don't you start one? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've just started one. Uh, it's not even a community of practice yet. So one of the things that I did uh, be, you know, as a blogger is I, I went out and I started saying I was going to lock my site down and make it a paid site because I've written 3,000 posts. I figured it's time to do the, you know get some money out of this. I, I decided against that because what I was advised by members of my community of practice. I asked of my trusted networks, hey, I'm thinking about doing this, and they said the problem with a lockdown community is it's hard for the rest of the members to share. We're like, Oh, that's not very good, is it? And so, uh, um, I, I, I called what's called my coffee club. I said, look, for $5 a month, you can join my coffee club and you're supporting my blogging. And then, so I've got, I think I've got 12 people right now on that. Um, and I decided, well, why don't I create a little safe space where we can talk? So I've, I've created a little private WordPress site, and if you're paying me $5 a month, you can come in here. And then we're doing monthly video meetings to discuss anything anybody wants to talk about. Because again, a lot of these people don't belong to other communities, online communities of practice that uh, for their profession. I said, we can talk about complexity, we can talk about PKM, I'm not here to sell, we're here to talk, I'm here to facilitate or listen. And so that's the most nascent, I mean, I, that, I only set that site up a couple of weeks ago. So we're just sort of figuring that one out. So, and the thing with communities is that uh, they live and they die. A community, there's a time when it's time to shut down a community. Right. Yeah. So your social network, the bonds change over time, but sort of the network. I mean, it's always it's always changing. And the same thing with work. Your work yeah. team. So you, you
0: evolve work... as well, right? So you personally evolve, and there are times probably when you need to find a different community of practice than what you have been in so far, because you know maybe your focus has changed, your uh, priorities have changed, so your need for uh, a different kind of practice arises. So you move into a different kind of community. That also happens. So I think. Um, you know uh, you uh, mentioned about it a little earlier which is about you know how do you make sense in your case you blog uh, i blog as well so uh... I tell my wife, I mean, I've been blogging for almost uh, three years, not as long as you have been. Uh, uh, I have about 600 posts uh, on the
1: blog, I write it
0: good. (laughs) I write for myself, uh, you know, so the a lot of people ask me, you know, where do you find time to you work full time uh, uh, in a in an organization, Uh, you do podcasting, you do you do blogging, uh, you are active on all the different social networks, where do you find time, I think, for me, the biggest reason why I continue to blog and uh, uh, do these podcasts is for my personal learning as well. Because, you know, every time uh, I talk to someone, I learn myself. And in this conversation, I'm learning, as well as in this process, there are a few other people who are also learning along with me. And there are times when audience come back and asks me, okay, you had this conversation, Uh, you could have asked this question, uh, to the uh, to the guest or uh, based on whatever you had a conversation can you tell me what did you understand from this because i was a little confused and that gives me an opportunity to again revisit uh, the conversation and also you know based on my own understanding of what conversation we had uh, to try and explain that to them uh, to my audience that you know okay based on what my understanding is this is what uh, it meant and uh, the reason why I'm touching upon this is, you know, not everyone uh, uh, has the opportunity to uh, maybe you know do a podcast or uh, write on a regular basis. Uh, so, what else have you seen work when it comes to sense making?
1: Well, uh, first of all, I, I agree with you on the personal side. I've had a number of companies approach me and technology companies who want to um, develop a PKM system, and. The, the P is a capital P in personal knowledge mastery is that because if it's not personal to you, if it's not intrinsically motivated, you're not going to continue doing it, which is why everyone has to find their own method. Right? Mm-hmm. So I think that that is that that's absolutely critical. Um, okay. So what are the other different? What are the other sense making ones? Uh, there's um, uh, someone who's actually been uh, uh, sort of pushing the PKM envelope. Uh, her name is Helen Blunden. She's in Melbourne. And uh, she is probably the best practitioner of PKM that I know. Uh, so I've known Helen for a number of years. She's taken my workshops, and uh, one of the things that she was using was Snapchat, and uh, and and how she, and I think she was, might have been using Vine's uh, uh, be, uh, before that. Uh, these are things. These are things that I don't really understand that that much. I haven't really gone deep into them, but she's really uh, shown how tools like Snapchat. Uh, so again, very different type of tool from blogging or yeah. microblogging on 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 Twitter, is is part of that uh, curation. A lot of people are doing curation, uh, in which, in which they're 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 curating for an audience. So that could be another way of doing the sense making. I have a friend of mine, Paul Prinsloo. So Paul teaches at the University of South Africa. And he is—he's uh, an omnivore online, so he's reading and uh, bringing in stuff, and he's a blogger as well. But one of the things that he does, Paul gets up early in the morning. He's usually up around five a.m. And from five to six or so, as he goes through his feeds, he checks things out, and he curates them, and he puts them into an email. And he sends them to any of the, his, his colleagues who are interested in this because none of his colleagues are not doing this, are not, you know, they don't have RSS feeds or aggregators or anything like that set up. So he's providing that sort of personal uh, aspect to it. And so I, I think that, you know, that definitely in terms of sense making is, uh, so how can I make sense for myself, but perhaps put it into the context of my work or a smaller group so that I feel like I will be letting everybody down if I don't do this. Um, uh, you know so one of the things I started on Twitter 2007 I think it was and the first year about as I was going I, I saw I had all these tweets and all these favorites and likes and things like that and I asked myself going like I'm spending all this time on Twitter but what am I doing with it <laughs> so I created this what I call Friday's finds uh, so so every second Friday now I started every first Friday but every second Friday, I go through everything that I've clicked on the like button. And, I, and, I, and usually it's 50 to 100 posts. And I force myself to to, to go through them, to read them and say, oh, that, that's interesting. That's interesting. And then I write a blog post of maybe five or 10 of what I think are important. Sometimes a theme comes out of those. Uh, where that adds value. So, OK, so, it, so I've done the, the grazing uh, on Twitter and i've and i've found some way of highlighting the good stuff so the only option in that case is the like. is the like button yeah. then i've created a routine where every 2 weeks i go through it then i've written a blog post right which highlights it and puts the permalinks in there and it's i in my database on my website my server those kinds of things and what i've done now is that so i have over 300 of these and it's become an interesting searchable database. So I use WordPress. So when I go into the administrator mode, I can search by category. So I just search in my Friday's finds and I can search for a word or a term, let's say leadership, and I can find stuff that's been written not about me or not not by me, right? It's, this is, uh, and, and so this now becomes a wonderful little knowledge management tool, right? So I've added, but relatively simple process. Again, all I'm doing during the day is I'm just clicking like yeah, and then then every two weeks, I'm going through it, and 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 that reflective time is kind of like, why the heck did I make what I didn't favor that? That's a, of no interest. Right? Um, and again, we're really good at seeing patterns. Is that when you've got a hundred what you think are random things, and you start going through and say, hey, all three of those are all related. I'm going to write this post is going to be about you know collaboration, right? Because all these things were were about collaboration. So there's another sense making. Uh, way of doing it. Uh, so when I run my workshops, it's I try to give lots of different ideas and tools and things like that. And uh, so uh, my uh, my colleague, Jane Hart, uh, who has uh, her, her uh, blog is c4lpt.co.uk. Uh, so she has the biggest learning and development blog in the UK. Um, and one of the th- things that she does every year is that she asks people, what tools do you use for your professional learning? And then she po- posts this uh, top tools. I think she gets about 5,000 uh, respondents and she hand curates all, make sure that they're real responses from real people uh, from from multiple fe- feeds. And so there she has 100 to 200 tools. And one thing, you know, here's a suggestion is, okay, what tools do you use? Okay, I use Twitter. I use LinkedIn. I use it. Okay, go down this list and find one tool that looks interesting and use it for 30 days, right? And then see whether or not you know, and then yeah, and then sense. write about your experience and share it. So, so I think we also constantly have to be pushing that. So, what can you do is that uh, you know, you can use a a, a human focus, sit, talk to other people. You can use a tool focus, try a new tool because a tool is like a language, and it makes you think differently. I mean, I remember when Twitter was only one hundred and forty characters. Like, how the heck do I say that <laughs> one hundred forty characters? Now it's too easy, yeah. <laughs> two hundred and eighty. Come on.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know. So I think um, um, uh, I get it. So ultimately if if you look at all of this i think one uh, uh, theme that comes across very very clearly when it comes to sense making is irrespective of how you do it whether you talk to yourself in your car whether you curate stuff whether you write a blog post about it whether you use different tools whether you use person personal networks i think what makes uh, what is common across all of this is uh, uh, your ability to uh, you know give attention and uh, Uh, how do I put it, it's it's active attention, you know. It's, that is, uh, if 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 you understand what I mean,
1: like like so, mindfulness, yes.
0: Mindfulness, yeah. So that's probably the word I was searching for. You need to be mindful about whatever it is the process that you are using, so that it is not just a, a fleeting, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, you just go through an article like you know, in in a few seconds, uh, just scroll through them. It's not just that, but it's a little more deeper than that. As long as uh, we are able to do that, uh, irrespective of how or what tool or what process we use. I think that is what uh, helps in sense making is what is the sense that I get uh, from what you said. So then comes the sharing part, right? So why is sharing so important? Uh, I've read quite a bit, uh, I've made sense out of it, but why is it that I need to share it with someone in order to really, uh, you know, uh, master whatever, or master or internalize whatever uh, I have learned?
1: Well, I think that we can honestly say that none of us are as smart as all of us, right? Is that, uh, uh, there are many things that we don't know individually and that the, uh, that there is knowledge and wisdom beyond us. We know that, but imagine living in a network or a community where nobody shares and that over time, that network gets more stupid. Uh, there's a very interesting, uh, uh, case uh, of, um, the Aboriginal people in Australia and a number of years ago, way back when it was at the, I think the end of the last ice age, is that uh, Tasmania got disconnected from uh, from the rest of Australia. And anthropologists had looked at development from that time on. So the community in uh, the number of people living in, ta- in modern day Tasmania was much smaller than the, than the rest of Australia. And the aboriginals in Australia were... Uh, uh, continued to share their technology and their, and their knowledge, and that's when they went on walkabout. They would go from one village or one community to another. There was some um, intermarrying uh, between them. What they found was that the Tasmanian group over the years actually lost knowledge and became dumber. They actually they, they lost technology, they lost know-how, they lost and, they, and, and, and they, they, they didn't have the critical mass to continue to adapt and to grow. So they actually went downhill, because they didn't have the diversity of knowledge and, uh, and and multiple perspectives for them to grow as a society. So you can see the same thing as if you go uh, a country that has a really um, poor education system, and which only the elite get educated, right, well, over time, the elite are going to oh yeah, we, we have good education, we know everything and all that kind of stuff. but if it's a democracy, or, or, or maybe not a democracy, is that if you have an uneducated community that you're living in, they might make bad decisions. They might vote for a demagogue. They might, I mean, these kinds of things have happened in history, so I'm told. Uh, so I, so what I talk about leadership, and I mean leadership in general, is that in, in my perspective is that leadership is helping make the network smarter so the network can make better decisions, so the network then gives back to me. So the more intelligent, diversified, uh, collaborative, cooperative community uh, that I live in, then the better chances up for my own prosperity, intellectually, spiritually, physically, economically. All those are gonna be good. So that's part of the social contract. So the social contract is that I'm learning from all these sources of information, and I have to give back. But you don't have to give back reciprocally. It, it's it's you, you find what's the way in which in which uh, you, you can do that But it also is a bit self-centered. It's that uh, it's self-centered in terms of I want to live in a in, in a better place. I, I, I want to have I want to have deep conversations with people about things that I'm passionate about Right, so I mean, again me connecting with you and being connected Globally means I can talk to you, but you, you know what personal knowledge mastery is. I walk down the street in my little community here you know, there's like there's one, two people that know about it and, you know, one hosts my website <laughs> you know, and the other one, I you know, I have a glass of wine with and we talk about these things. Right. So that that's my community here. It's tiny, but I have a global community to talk about that. A, but if I had not shared, I would not be getting anything back.
0: Correct. And I also think that, you know, uh, sharing probably is also uh, important because by the very act of sharing, uh, I think we are also... Um, uh, in a way, uh, being very mindful about uh, uh, what we are sharing as well. And uh, once you share publicly uh, something, I think you're more uh, committed to understand that a little more than you would otherwise. Uh, So, for example, if if I'm writing a blog about what our discussion is, I'm sure that I would have learned a little more than just having a conversation and just moving on. Well,
1: articulating our thoughts, yeah, I think, becomes—that's that's the discipline. I mean, the same—that's where writing is good because writing forces you to think this through. I think also talking about it uh, as a public speaker yeah. is that when I present something on the stage and there are 500 people, you know, afterwards I might think, I could have— maybe done that a little bit better, (laughs) but only because I was forced to be up there and do it.
0: And also, you know, I also believe that, you know, uh, you learn more uh, by teaching uh, stuff to someone else because you know that also forces you to uh, not only understand, but also uh, internalize and personalize uh, whatever you've learned and express it in your own words rather than uh, the words of someone who had actually originally created uh, the content because, you know, there is very few people that uh, can claim to really, really create original, you know, uh, in quotes, uh, content. So that also, I think, uh, uh, is important. And uh, uh, sharing gives that possibility to us as well. So you talk, you briefly mentioned about perpetual beta, right? So Mm -hmm. explain what you mean by perpetual beta. And uh, uh, in this entire context of PKM, uh, how does that uh, fit into?
1: So perpetual beta was a term that I came across a number of years ago. It's it's not original to me, and it's used in a number of other cases. But the idea of perpetual beta is perpetual change, or if you think about a beta, um, uh, release is that it's not quite it's not quite ready. So in terms of my blog posts there in perpetual beta because I call it They're half-baked ideas. They're not they're, It's not a fully edited book or anything like that The other thing about perpetual beta is that when you're dealing with uh, uh, Complex systems or complex problems is if you according to the kenevan framework is that to to uh, to deal with a with, with complexity You have to what is known as probe sense and respond you have to probe by doing something to, to engage the system. It's only through engaging the system that you can make sense of it and then you respond, but those probes have to be small enough so that you don't want to commit the whole company or your whole self to doing something that way. Um, and then you have to continuously experiment. When I talked to Dave Snowden about this, I said, you know, this probe sense respond is good. I like the notion of experimentation, but you know, how do you know if you're experimenting enough? Oh, said, he says pretty simple. He said, if you're not getting at least a 50% failure rate, you're not experimenting hard enough. I went, like, well, okay, well, that's good. I mean, how many companies do you know like that? Uh, most entrepreneurs are probably way above 50% failure rate. Um, I know, I know, I am. Um, so, uh, so I think that's uh, uh, that's definitely part of it. Um, and. I don't know if I've uh, forgot the other part of the question. No, no. I think
0: uh, uh, I also feel that you know, perpetual beta is also uh, as relevant to ourselves as human beings as well, because I I feel that you know we are never uh, uh, fully evolved. You know, so we are in the process of evolution as we go along every day. So I think perpetual beta in that case also is very relevant uh, uh, for me.
1: Yeah, I came across something. I can't remember where it is, and I'll, I'll see if I can find it and send it to you afterwards for the post-show notes. But uh, they were looking at change in organizations and the, the the people who were open and receptive to doing new things. And what they found was that dinosaurs, as they called them in the company, they became dinosaurs after four years. <laughs> so anybody with more than four years of seniority was really more of a hindrance than, than a help <laughs> To, to any type of transition so I think the perpetual beta is making sure that we don't turn ourselves into dinosaurs I mean you think about it I mean when I mean, you think about the old days is that I could go and I could get my degrees I could get a PhD and then I could sit at a university for the rest of my life and teach based upon that now I might write some papers. I might do another book. I might collect a little bit more but basically I'm just you know I've I've I am who I am and I'm going to then, uh, now I'm going to disseminate and spout the rest of my life. And now, you know, you get the half-life of companies is very short. Uh, you've got, I mean, they're even talking about the demise of Facebook already. And uh, so we uh, we have to adapt. And, you know, luckily I've done that. I'm in the military, I had three careers. Um, I'm on my third one post-military now. And inside my own company, I'm probably on iteration, I don't know, X to the nth, nth degree or something like that. So, again, constantly changing different things. And I think and the thing is that, again, entrepreneurs and freelancers, they get this intuitively. They're forced um, people, as well,
0: right? So if they don't, yes, they, they yes. go out of existence.
1: <laughs> exactly. And so well, for a number of years, a little bit less now, is that uh, particu- when I was on LinkedIn, is I would, get, I would get an invitation from somebody to connect, somebody I kind of knew perhaps. And it was usually it happened the day that they lost their job. Uh, so I, I was actually working with a client uh, when the uh, the company shut down their uh, their office. So 250 people let go. And and so I'm dealing with my client and we're actually, uh, I'm working, it's a, it's a knowledge sharing collaboration internal project. And she, and she said, well, look, what do I do? I said, okay, well, how long have you been at the company? She said, 17 years. Okay, let's, let's map your network. So I went with her and we mapped out her network. And her professional network was all within the company. And her, and then she had her personal network, which was her, her her child, her husband, her local community, and stuff like that. She had no professional network outside the company. Oh man! Right. Now, 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 as as a freelancer, it's easy to have things outside the company because the company's one. Uh, but if you look at it from a company perspective, from a large company perspective, and if you believe that. The knowledge inside the company is less than the knowledge outside the company then having employees who are not engaged outside getting other ideas Are actually not supporting the company at all now from the personal side is it? The 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 better the more dynamic the more diverse my professional social network if I lose my job That network becomes my social safety net. So it's a good thing for me, but it's not bad for the company either And 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 that is a bit of the dichotomy because companies sometimes they'll say, Well, this is all great for you know for the employee, but what's it what's it doing for us? We want them to focus on the on the job at hand. I said, Well you don't know what the job at hand is going to be in two years. You're True. going to be out there fi- figuring that stuff out. So True. that is the big challenge in working with companies. So I've worked with companies like uh, uh, Carlsberg. We put PKM into their leadership program um, with Domino's Pizza as well. Um, and, you know, some companies get it, um, and luckily those are my clients because the ones who don't get it would never hire me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I've been working on uh, an idea as well, which is to create a. Uh, perpetual uh, education network. So uh, gone are the days, I think, where uh, you go to a college, get a degree. uh, And then, you know, maybe three, five years down the line, maybe do an executive uh, course, maybe, you know, three, four years down, your company allows you to go and uh, do some course or brings in an external consultant and uh, you learn something. I think now the time is going to be where you continuously learn over a period of time, almost every year. So which means that the education uh, industry needs to adapt to that kind of a need as well. So one of the things that, one of the projects that I'm hoping to launch this year—I mean, this is the first time I'm talking publicly about it—which uh, is uh, to launch a, you know, a, a kind of a, a educational institution where uh, you pay a membership fee and uh, you come back every year, uh, two times to three times every year, and uh, uh, you do whatever course you want to do. Uh, you create your uh, different network because every time you come, uh, the cohort is different, so you build a network. uh, And uh, depending upon what you want to do at that phase of life, uh, you can do a leadership course, you can do a a technology coding kind of a work, you can do come and do something, learn something about marketing, you can come learn something about, let's say design, you can come learn, um, do some creative stuff. So as long as you can continue to come every four months, for a period of, let's say, three to four days, uh, it is mandatory. You have to come for three to four days every four months. And you pick whatever topic you want to learn at that point in time, but uh, uh, the the idea is that you, know, you come back every time, uh, every four months or so, and uh, learn something new and go back with a new set of uh, friendship, new set of professional network. Uh, now, I'm right now in the middle of figuring out how all of these will put together, uh, come out, how the faculties are going to be, how the entire payment structure is going to be and all those stuff. But hopefully, uh, I'm able to launch it uh, sometime this year here in Bangalore uh, for sure.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. uh, I'm actually talking to a friend uh, in Mumbai. uh And uh, because we're looking at doing something with PKM um, on site uh, in India. So we, we, we should have an offline conversation or an <laughs> unrecorded conversation. But, but I think that you really hit on something really important when it comes to motivation and understanding people. So I, I run these online PKM workshops. Uh, I've never had anybody uh, say this was useless. Uh, seriously, no, I've, I've never had anyone saying, you know, I didn't like this or anything like that. But what I've had a lot of people do, and this is a significant per- percentage, say, well, I didn't have time to do it. I mean, I run this over 60 days. It used to be 40 days. And I extended it to 60 days, the same amount of work, because people said they didn't have time. And, you know, the, there's the saying, "You can lead the horse to water, but you can't make the horse drink. And I think that forcing people to get out of their routine and putting them in a place is, is, is a really good thing. I, I, and that's why you know we travel, and because we're away from home and the distractions, we're actually more open, and we might learn something, and we might be able to relax or or do things like that. So um, that is yeah, the, the 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 discipline of PKM is doing something regularly, and it takes time to do that. So. Getting people to there's one reason people sign up for courses uh, at a university or at a, at a school because they know they have to go there Oh, it's Tuesday night. I have to go to my class, right? right. It forces you in okay I've, I've committed to do that But if I just say well read these 18 articles and get back to me when you're ready, you know <laughs> Two months later say, Well, I really had time to do that or anything like that. So so what you're doing is that you're helping people uh, You're giving them an artificial um, constraint and that I think is really good. You've created boundaries, and that within those boundaries, then there's, uh, there is flexibility. But 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 I think that that bounded space is it, it definitely will help, and I think that appeals to a lot of people.
0: So that actually um, uh, lets me segue into um, uh, the online workshop that you do. So can you tell a little bit about the workshop, uh, how you run it, uh, whom is it useful for, so that uh, uh, you know uh, my audience can explore whether uh, it makes sense for them as well.
1: So I started off the, uh, with the PKM, uh, are we still on because I've lost the video?
0: Yeah, you can go on.
1: Okay, Okay. good. So I started uh, the first course that I did on, on PKM came through uh, because I was contacted by someone who was reading my blog. I said, could you run a workshop on this? And so I did. It was a private, private uh, day. It was one day. And people said, hey, this is pretty cool. This is fun. And then I was approached by the University of Toronto. Uh, it was called their iSchool. And I ran uh, one-day workshops. Uh, people would sign up for them. I'd fly up to Toronto. I'd run the workshop. But what I noticed afterwards was that it was, I mean, it was a data dump, really. Is that so? And and I said, this is how you do this, and this is this, and all these kinds of things. And we did some interactive activities. But there was a lot of stuff. And what I found was that people liked it. I got good, you know, initial feedback. But it didn't change anybody's behavior. So the idea of um, uh, doing it online came from friends of mine in the Netherlands, who actually ran a program called Getting Online in 40 Days. And it was, how do you actually use the internet browsers and stuff like that? And it was uh, 18 lessons distributed over 40 days. So it was three lessons a week sent to you by, by email, actually. And each lesson was 60 to 90 minutes worth of work. Okay, we want you to do this, 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 and this, bang. And then reflect on it, and we'll get back on on the next one. So they said, why don't you use this format for PKM? And so I went and I designed 18 activities uh, over, for, over 40 days and I ran a number of, uh, of these workshops. And so really what it, what it is, it's the um, – you get uh, a, a concept. So there's six themes. So one of the themes is networks and communities. And one of the first exercise is mapping your network, and then getting feedback on how to map your network. And then how do you find a community is, is another one of the exercises. And then and we work our way through it. And hopefully at the end of the, of the term, initially at 40 days, uh, people will be ready to start. <laughs> you know, it's not, you're not at the end, you're just getting ready to start. After about two years of doing this on forty days, I mean, I had a lot of people uh, asked to do the workshop again. And uh, for your listeners, uh, I don't advertise this publicly, but I can say it in public: is that anybody who wants to take the workshop again for free, I let them. Right? Uh, It's and with the condition of could you please participate more this time? Um, And I shifted it to sixty days just because I had such a high. Non uh, uh, non non-com- completion rate, and even with sixty days, it's still not enough. And so I'm realizing that, the, but I'm not going to make it any longer. Uh, and so the idea is is through So so the so the workshop itself, I run four public ones a year. I also do private ones or, or uh, custom ones if people want. But the public workshops, I have people from pretty well every walk of life. Uh, I have early career, mid career, late career. People inside companies, freelancers. I had a lot of people who are looking at career transition, and really because the the objective of the workshop is to help you figure out how to take control of your professional development. That's really what it brings, and particularly using uh, internet, social media types of tools to do that, and to do it at a relatively inexpensive way. So you're not taking a course or anything. You're taking my course or my workshop because I don't even call it a course. I don't give certification for it. And for me, I said, is it, uh, you know, uh, that uh, uh, PKM is working if it's working for you. So are you actually doing something different out of this? Uh, And the great thing about the international cohorts is that, so I just started one last week. I have 20 people in it from about 10 different countries. And the great thing about doing it socially is everybody's together and you're seeing what other people are posting, which kind of forces you to say, well, I better write something because that other person did. But you're getting it from perspectives outside your company, outside your culture, outside your language. And so that, that international aspect for me is, is really important. So, um, again, usually they average at around 20-ish people uh, r- uh, running through it. And I guess some people who are 100% lurkers. I get other people who just dive right deep into it, and again, is that I don't try to push anybody. I, I'm there to provide it. We run some synchronous sessions like this if people want it. And uh, uh, anyway, they've been they've been popular. Uh, I, I, keep, I keep it's there in perpetual beta, so every time that I run one, the next one there's been some tweaks better. to it, a yeah. uh, little well, better, worse or something. Did <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you different. learn and make it different?
0: Yeah. Yes, so based definitely. on whatever you've learned. So cool. So where can people find out more information about these workshops?
1: Okay, so the best place to go is, is, is my website, so j a r c h e. J-A-R-C-H-E.com. There's a section there on PKM, the different workshops. Pretty well, all of the information is, is free. I have a category called PK Mastery uh, for, uh, on my blog. There are several hundred articles there. If you just want to read through it, go ahead. It's free. Right. Um, you can you can take the workshop if you if, if and sign up for them. Uh, you can buy. Um, I have some ebooks' uh, there. They're available. So that's another cheaper way of doing it. You can just follow me for a while and see what I'm writing and, and posting about. Uh, so it's all pretty well. Everything is, is centered through the blog or uh, you can always. And I'm active on Twitter as well.
0: Super. So um, before we kind of uh, end the conversation, as we're getting close to the uh, time that we have, uh, a few questions that we always ask uh, our guests. Uh, first one is, uh, uh, is there a resource or uh, uh, a piece of art or a book or uh, uh, something that you want our uh, listeners to uh, go check out, uh, which has had an impact on you personally?
1: There are a number of books that I uh, feel are really well aligned with PK mastery and again in my own practice is that uh, I write book reviews and the reason I do it is to force myself to remember what the book was about but now I have so that's the I seek the book I make sense of the book. Um, I only write positive book reviews. If I don't like the book, it doesn't get a review because the review is for me. I want to remember the books that I liked and I read and then I post them on my blog and I share them appropriately. So here with PKM, it's like, okay, Harold, can you recommend some books or some some different things is that I actually have it up here on my, on my site as I have my books, right? And I know which ones uh, recently uh, really made a, a, a difference. The um, if you're interested in uh, complexity, and uh, I just read one by um, called "It's Not Complicated." And I, really, I really enjoyed that one, and I can. Why don't we send you the links? Yeah, yeah, that'll be with, nice. Yeah, okay, I'll do that. Um, there's another really uh, short one that I that, that I really liked um, by Benedict Carey called "How We Learn," and uh, I, I, I learned a lot. It's focused a bit more on how we learn when we take courses. And how, how we learn in educational settings but it, but it, it's definitely related to um, uh, uh, PK, uh, P- PKM. Another one, uh, so I'll give you the three, is called Sense-making and the Power of the Humanities by Christian Maas uh, Bjerg and I really like that one because that focuses on the sense-making part right which is the tough part of, uh, of, of PKM and uh, yeah so yeah those three and I'll send you the links to all three.
0: Super. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, one last question that we end all our conversations is uh, the show is called Pushing Beyond the Obvious. So what is so obvious to you, but people, but find people miss all the time?
1: The obvious part is that I can explain PKM to anybody and they get it. Seek, send, share. All right. I just run through that. The non-obvious is that Unless you actually work, unless you actually work at it, the, it's a discipline, is that nothing is going to change. You are not going to change unless you actually do something. something and that's the – and I, I find that with uh, when I work with companies is that they say, well, we want you to run this workshop and do this and then things are going to change. I say they're not going to change. Uh, when I when I, I mean when I work with companies in terms of like um, uh, what they call um, having digitally literate uh, employees or whatever the, the the term that they have, I say this is a minimum of a six month engagement, and it's going to take more than six months to change behavior, and that's the because if you think about that that's a no brainer, but no one wants to accept that if, when it's when we're focused on the next quarter. So yeah, is it, it, there's, you know, blood, sweat, and tears. I mean, you gotta, you gotta work at it.
0: <laughs> that's a great way to end the conversation. So thanks a lot for taking time and talking to us. Uh, please let people know where uh, they can connect with you.
1: Okay, that's great. I'll send, I'll follow up with links and I hope that we have another conversation.
0: Sometime soon. Uh, okay. Thanks a lot for taking time and talking to us today. Have okay, a good day. take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pushing Beyond the Obvious. If you like the show and would like to support, please head over to iTunes or wherever you are listening to the show and rate us and write a review. Till next time, have fun.